All right, well, welcome to Lacrosse Talk PM. I'm Rick Solom. Got a special guest in here tonight, Dr. Ted Wilson, an entomologist at Viterbo University. Uh, I'm sure you all know what entomologist means. Uh, otherwise known as like a bug guy or obsessed with bugs. <laughs> or um, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Good uh, to be here. First, first thing that when when most people are grossed out by bugs. I don't really care one way or the other. I, I kind of let spiders out when I find them in my house as opposed to smushing them. Sure, that's great. But uh, how does somebody, were you a weird kid in that you got into bugs? Uh, <laughs> were you a weird kid and, and you were into bugs, or was this something that came later in life, I should say? You're, uh, you're actually right. I, I was, I was been into in- insects ever since I was a little kid. Okay. Loved them as I was growing up. I was collecting caterpillars and bees and all those types of things. Those are normal. Well, bees maybe isn't normal. Well, but. not collecting them, but not afraid of them. And, you know, you could uh, chase butterflies and all that. And I was, all, I was kind of into nature a lot. I'd have pet snakes and stuff like okay. that, too. Did you, uh, what, what's like the, the, the worst thing you brought into the house that freaked mom or dad out? Oh, probably the garter snake. Um, I had a bunch of caterpillars, too, in a jar that I let loose in the house. Uh, that we never did really find all of them. Okay. So, yeah. so and then, like, the, the end of the late, later in the season, there's butterflies in the house. So, like, oh, there's well, where those caterpillars They don't do well under the couch, it turns <laughs> out. So, <laughs> um, so a, a few things we wanted to, to hit on. You just you came, you gave me a little, like, checklist of things that we could talk oh, about. Sure. But, um, and and I, I guess we could start. Okay, so I'll just read these things. So the native pollinators, we could talk about like mason bees, moths, butterflies, stuff like that. Um, and the maybe the most important thing when it comes to that is the endangered rusty patch bumblebee. Sure. Um, and and we could just talk about how you mentioned like what we what we can do to kind of help these guys out. Um, other things you said uh, maybe how to observe and identify insects um, and. Uh, you know, another big thing that we we really like a, around, to talk about around this area is the invasive species. So the sure. um, the the Asian beetles, yeah. so to speak, or the emerald emerald ash borer. Yeah. Everyone in yeah. lacrosse is cutting their trees down, right? Ash like trees, the yeah. ash trees, not all the trees. Mm-hmm. Um, or yeah, like the lady be, lady the ladybugs or well, those in your house right now. Yeah. Give me this list too. So earwigs, <laughs> I don't. I'm not sure I know what earwigs Yeah, they have a little pincer on their back. I don't know how common they are. Oh, I do know what earwigs. I lived in a basement one year in college, and there was earwigs would fall on me at night. Those are innovative. They're from Europe. Yeah, so if if your uh, listeners have any questions about identification or those types of things, I'd be glad to answer any of them questions. But, um, you know, now that I'm all grown up as an entomologist, I really love uh, talking to uh, my students at Viterbo as well as the community about, you know, What's the importance of insects? What, uh, why, you know, people don't like them, as you mentioned, but, you know, a lot of people do love going out looking for butterflies and grasshoppers and all these things. And, and uh, right now, it's really tough to be an insect, believe it or not. I know people uh, kind of get squeamish, you know, when they uh, find a, you know, spider or, you know, other in- or an insect in their house. But really, there, it's, it's really tough to be an insect these days because of the biodiversities and the environment and the ecosystems are really under a lot of pressure. And it's, uh, it's a lot to do with what humans are doing with expansion of urbanization and uh, 
uh, you know, agricultural monocropping and uh, application of insecticides and pesticides out there. So, you know, what do we what do we have now, and you know, what are the good things that you as a we as a citizens can maybe uh, help with these with the insect problem, which in this case is not enough of them, in my my opinion. Yeah, because. I mean, if you if you go to any like major news site, and you know we pulled this up before the show on New York Times, and I posted this on on our Wisdom Facebook page, but the insect apocalypse is here is the headline. <laughs> I love that, and that's supposed to, and that's really that sounds awesome for most people. <laughs> no more yes, insects. No more insects. <laughs> but um, is this something we we could get into? Like, what yeah. happens when, like, if it's here already? Like, what happens if the insects disappear? Uh, you have ecosystem collapse, okay. uh, top and bottom. You, you really do. A lot, of, a lot of insects, not only are they eating plants and, and uh, being at the kind of the base of the ecosystem, but a lot of things eat insects, you know. And so these things like, you know, bats and frogs and, 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 and those are the predator side of it, but the pollination. Um, insects are critical for propagation of not only native plants but also crops, and we just rely a lot on them, a lot on them. And it's not just honeybees either. It's a lot of native insects are really important for um, you know, even not just the flowers in your garden, but our you know, nuts and fruits and things that we eat every day. Yeah, but Walmart bought the rights to like like auto insect pollinators, like robotic pollinators. We'll be all right, right? <laughs> no, I, that, that one I'm not too familiar with yet. Uh, you know, I hope, the, I hope that's not the way we go. Um, we, really, you know, we really need these insects because, it, first of all, it's a, you know, the, the simple appreciation for the diversity that insects bring to our world. Um, but then also, they're really, a lot of these are actually useful. Um, you know, people don't like spiders, but if we lost spiders, for example, which of course aren't insects, we'd have an outbreak of uh, mosquitoes and other, other things that eat us. Yeah, when, you, when we say the insect apocalypse is here, that doesn't mean all the like. Would mosquitoes survive this apocalypse? They they very well could. In fact, they might make they could do maybe very, even better. They would survive until we were gone, and then right, like, <laughs> right. and then they might and then they yeah. might thrive even more. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I think maybe everything would thrive if we were gone. Six zero eight seven eight five seven nine one four is the Better Hearing Center talk or text line. You can talk, call me. You can text us if you got questions about bugs or about pollination, or about, like, how to do, how to save some of these, you know, like the, the bumblebee or the, uh, you, you mentioned other bees that, that, oh, the bumblebee is one of them, but what the honeybee is not yeah. a native one, so. Well, yeah, I, I love honeybees, and honeybees are a great insect. Um, a lot of the things, I'm not, I, don't, I haven't raised honeybees myself, and we really need honeybees for a lot of agriculture production, of course, for honey. Um, but they technically they're actually from Europe and Asia and, of course, the Africanized honeybees. And, and uh, you know, if you are concerned like I am about biodiversity of what I call native species, then I, I wouldn't promote using honeybees. Um, I, you know, I wouldn't put a honeybee hive out my backyard. I'd put a butterfly garden and maybe a pile of dead wood or some, some things that insects would really like to take advantage of and invest yep. in. Um, all right, 608-785-7914. We'll get to your calls in just a minute. We've got to do a quick news break. Hold tight. All right, welcome back. 608-785-7914, the Better Hearing Center, talking text line. I'm in the studio, or in this, I'm in the studio, but in the studio with me is Dr. Ted Wilson, an ophthalmologist at Viterbo University. We're talking bugs. If you guys got bug questions or, you know, if you want him to tell you, it's okay. Bugs are okay. <laughs> um, he could do that on the phone right now, Eric from Sparta. Eric, go ahead. Yeah, is there any saving grace for these uh 
bugs like fleas and ticks and stuff, do they help nature at all, or are they just absolute pests who must be exterminated? That's, that's a great question. You know, I get that type of a question a lot. I was like, what the heck is that bug good for? Um, because we often, as humans, think, hey, if it doesn't anything good for us, then maybe there's no use for it whatsoever. So with, with like, for example, the ticks, you know, there's a lot of different species of ticks, and, of course, the black-legged tick or deer tick can spread Lyme disease, of course. And But there are things that uh, that tick is associated with, too, with the things that it also eats, but also that it eat it. So if we remove a species, we've actually lost something that is really special and unique in the environment that we don't necessarily always understand how it uh, relates to things, but it's definitely not just only associated with humans. There's other things that is part of this food web we talk about. Do we, what, if, what if we remove ticks? What happens? Yeah, what, what happens when you remove ticks, first of all, you, you have another reduction in the biodiversity in our ecosystem. And that is becoming a bigger and bigger problem. We are trying to eradicate things rather than trying to work with them and live with them um, in, their, in the environment that we have. Um, so if you start to remove ticks, things rely on those ticks as a food source. So maybe, maybe there are some birds that eat ticks or spiders or uh, possums. I heard, all I hear is possums. They eat 10,000 ticks a day. And I love possums, but man, that's a lot of ticks to eat. <laughs> that's a lot of ticks, you know. So they're 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 a resource for other things. Now, yeah, we don't we don't want to we don't want to spread Lyme disease. Lyme disease actually is a bacteria. Borrelia burgdorferi is one word to say is actually being transmitted by the ticks. And sometimes, you know, these these uh, these insects and arachnids, in the case of ticks, actually um, are actually a little sick from the bacteria or the virus or whatever it may be as well. So they're not you know they're not in cahoots with the disease, they're probably right. considered a victim as well. Yeah. Uh, fleas the same way? Fleas? I feel like fleas, we can get rid of fleas. <laughs> we just get, just get rid of fleas. But no, right? No, I would say, I would say absolutely no. You know, um, you know we, we are... Uh, there's, there's a, from, for mammals, there's, you know, there's one, at least one species of fleas or mites or anything that's associated with that specific species as well. And so, yeah, you know, nobody wants fleas on their pets. You don't want them in their house, but we can treat our pets or we can, um, you know, uh, give them medicine and those types of things. But again, you know, they're, they're, they're an important integral part of the, of the ecosystem. Um, it's a hard argument to make and most people aren't going to buy it, I don't think. But I, um, one of my messages I have is that, um, this world that we have, you know, there's a lot of things that we just can't replace. We're never going to replace something, even if we think it is or it is harmful to us. I just read the other day, and this is a little off topic, but every sea turtle is on the endangered species list or, you know, like up there. Every one of them. Like, so every kind of turtle that lives in the sea is, is, is out. So, I, I don't know, it's pretty scary, like, how many things keep hitting this endangered list. Yeah, there's um, you know, as a as a species humans, we um, we're, we're uh, there's a lot of us around. There's going to be more of us, and and we have we 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 have a you know not only um needs ourselves, we need to eat and have space, and ecosystem, our niche that we that take that we take up, but we also you know we we're doing things and, and practicing uh, food production, maybe not as uh, as sustainable as we could. You know, I don't I don't know if we can feed the world on organic food, but we could do. Um, we could do, we could do uh, production of corn and soybeans, and maybe a little bit differently that promotes biodiversity or at least more habitats. You, you mentioned the ocean. You know, we we fish a lot. Um, you know, we, we there's there's a lot of ways that 
we pull a lot All of things. All I catch is boots and tin uh, cans. You know, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I like to t- we'll do a little trout fishing myself, um, eat one or two trout a year, and then we're going to kind of release, release the rest of them. Um, but, you know, uh, a lot of commercial fishing, fishing, and plus like the sea turtles, they need to go up on land somewhere. And um, one of the things that really we're doing as humans is we're really expanding our influence. Maybe we're not living in all every square foot of, of space, but we certainly are playing chemicals or reduce or changing the plants plant habitat and those types of things um believe it or not spring is here it is so the so like stuff starting to bloom and i was talking to my neighbor i was telling you this before but i'll tell you story. so my neighbor he has an immaculate lawn and he likes to kill all the dandelions and he pays like a couple hundred bucks a month to have somebody come and spray and and drop whatever it is he's dropping onto that lawn to kill all the dandelions and i was like you know i was reading that the dandelions are like the, one of the first things that bloom, and it's one of the most important, you know, as bad as we think weeds are in dandelions. It's, is that one of the things that's important for bugs when, when spring comes, and especially up here when it, when it seems like it never comes? Well, I, I used to be that guy. Yeah, I was out there pulling dandelions and um, spraying them, and, and uh, I wanted my one only type of plant out in the yard, whatever type of grass it happened to be. And nowadays I don't. I uh, I let the I let the uh, the dandelions have a chance at it, and I uh, I got my share of uh, clover and uh, creeping Charlie or um, and all those types of things. And um, you know I think I probably have a healthier yard than someone who just has the one one species of plant out there. A one you're not, you're going to have you're going to have uh, earthworms in your in your yard. It's going to aerate the soil. Um, you're going to have flowering plants all times of the year, perhaps. Um, and so, like you mentioned, you know, dandelions come out really early. They come out two, three times a, out of the year, if you uh, if you've ever noticed that. And uh, they're they're a great source for those early early season pollinators. Um, you know, uh, but you know, sometimes you live in a neighborhood where it's you know, we got one when someone just does not like those dandelions, you kind of have to um, you know spread up, spread the message. You know, I, I have I know folks who plant their whole entire backyard to native uh, plants. And they have very, very little grass. And, uh, you know, it's a great ecosystem back there, even though it's a little small little space. They have a lot of life in their yard. And it's uh, one little thing that one person can do. And if, you know, get more people to do that type of thing rather than just trying to have a bunch of grass, um, then uh, you got maybe we can turn around this insect apocalypse. Yeah, I was telling uh, a friend of mine, just have a Creepin' Charlie lawn. Like the whole thing should be Creepin' Charlie. Or Clovers, my other friend, said she was going to have a Clover lawn. I was like, I don't even know if you have to mow it. Like, then you can get rid of your lawnmower and, like, there's so many Lower things. maintenance, yeah. It's like a two hours a day that you got back of your life every week. And <laughs> um, You were talking about this, too. Uh, this one of your notes you gave me, the windshield phenomenon. Oh, yeah. Um, and I, I guess when I thought about it, I was like, yeah, that's, that makes sense, uh, except that when I drive home, you know, in the spring through the, through the marshes, yeah. my windshield's full of, you know everything. So, but like, can you talk about what the windshield phenomenon? Yeah. So um, this is uh, this is something that was first observed over in uh, over in Europe. I think it was Germany, and uh, people who have been around a while, right, that have uh, grew grew up uh, with car maybe in the 70s and earlier even, and had a lot of bugs smashing against their windshield. And now here nowadays, it's uh, where's all the bugs? Why well, my car? My car is still get a few bugs on it, but, you know, I don't have nearly as much of the speckling of all the, all those bodies, unfortunately, that the car would smash into. So we call that the, uh, the the windshield phenomenon because it just seems like there's fewer insects being smashed up against the car, which is maybe some way of, say, of sampling the biodiversity of insects. Now, if you live in an area where you have a lot of hatchings from the river and the Mississippi River and those backwaters in the area, maybe you're not seeing it as much, but in the upland areas, uh, there's, there's pretty strong consensus that there's something going on. Um, 
people are going to hear this and be like, uh, yeah, I don't want to scrape bugs off my windshield. This is a great thing. But, right, right. we have to change that mentality. That the, so. and we almost have to ch- we have to change our, our maybe our yards to make them more biodiverse. So the little things, right, if everyone did just a little bit of, oh. of this and that in every yard, that would help the, this bug population. Then. Well, and communities can do it, too. So um, as I understand, the city of La Crosse is putting in more butterfly gardens. Uh, you can... Uh, create more natural habitats that not only are good for insects, but they're a great place to bring your kids, your dogs, and things. And, and um, you know, um, maybe even if it's aquatic, sport fishing, those types of things might improve, might improve because, hey, fish eat bugs. Um, and it's important for, for everything. 608-785-7914 is the number, the Better Hearing Center talk and text line. If you got uh, questions for, for Dr. Wilson about bugs or maybe about habitat, uh, we talked a little bit about ticks. Uh, we haven't talked about Asian beetles a whole lot. Maybe we'll get back to that uh, when we come back from the news. All right, welcome back. 608-785-7914. You actually don't need those. You don't want to wear them. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Digging the headphones off. Uh, the Better Hearing Center, talking text line one more time, 608-785-7914. We're talking to Dr. Ted Wilson, an ophthalmologist with Viterbo University, an Iowa State graduate. And uh, we're just talking, you know, bugs and, and how you should like them more than, than nobody. And nobody does. Nobody likes bugs. But that's... I disagree. That, there's a lot of people that like bugs. There's a lot of people that like bugs. really are. You were just telling me that we need more people to like bugs. I do. So, yeah. obviously, you're a professor at Viterbo. What uh, do you have? Like, a, is, it per, is it a pretty popular couple of courses you teach? Oh, or how, sure. You know? Yeah, I, uh, I teach a few courses at Viterbo. I uh, just taught one this, uh, this last fall called Limnology, which is study of, of fresh water, lakes and rivers and those types of things. And uh, we were out with my students uh, doing a lot of water samples around the area, uh, canoeing. Uh, we were doing catch and release with trout, measuring, uh, doing kick samples on the streams where you can go and uh, stir up the sediment and see what's living out there, you know. And it's, it's a lot of fun to do. Um, also, in my classes. Um, do you, uh, you read books too, or not? You, you, uh, y- yes. Okay. Books, books are great. Uh, you know, the students also they. I mean, they they also do experimentation and run experiments, try to create, you know, develop new knowledge, and and so uh, we take samples and, and see what is actually going on out there. And uh, you know, there's a lot. Wisconsin's a great state. We have so much diversity in habitat and ecosystem, and there really are some really wonderful things to appreciate out there. Um, in my classrooms as well, I, you know, I have a live insect zoo, several things that I, that I uh, get, with, have a, get with my students, uh, uh, live Madagascar hissing cockroaches, a tarantula. We have best beetles, and, and we, we use a lot of living organisms too, to kind of help understand the environment. Better. Now, you mentioned you were going to bring a tarantula in here. I'm kind I of thought about it. I thought about it. Um, is that like the, the, the big thing that you would maybe bring to, or have in class, or is there something else that's just really like the kids, the, the students are really into? <laughs> well, I tell you what, when you have uh, something like a tarantula in your hand at the front of, front of a classroom, you will always have everybody's attention. Yeah. So it's a, I, use it as, I use those types of things often um, as, as teaching tools, not only just to, you know, uh, get everybody's attention, but talk about uh, – how organisms are different from each other. You know how. Why, you know what's the importance of a tarantula? What, what's, how do you identify it how to? You know more maybe more more native species. You know that that are there around in Wisconsin, and then those students can then learn. Not one of the first things you have to do is 
what are you looking at when you're out in the environment? If you can understand what you're looking at and understand its identity, then the next step is to see what does it do? How, why is it important? How does it fit into the ecosystem? Whether or not it's directly impacting humans or not. Do you think all professors and even like teachers should carry, maybe carry a tarantula around? No, 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 no. 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 <laughs> I feel like if you're carrying a tarantula around, the class... The, the students will always know where you are. If you're holding it in your hand, they'll always know where you are. They'll never be on their phones. They'll yep. never be on the you're internet. They'll on. always you're be catching on. Yep. That's, that's what you're doing, right? Like, yeah, just a couple times a year. It's not every <laughs> just, uh, does he live? Does he or she or it live right in the classroom with all the other? You mentioned like a, a bug habitat. You oh, got right in the class. we have lab spaces and rearing areas for okay. those things. So they're not easily accessible for everybody. Okay. But yeah. Um, <laughs> it's hard to move on from that because I'm always interested. Oh, we can like, do it. Oh, what's what's the stuff that? Uh, what do you think is the most important when it comes with when it comes to bugs and maybe when you're teaching your students? Uh, what what is the biggest issue or the most important issue that that you 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 need to get across? Is there an issue? Well, there are. Yeah. Well, for, first of all. Um, one of, one of the things that when, you, when you're a college student and you're a biology major or environmental biology major is a lot of these kids just have already a great appreciation and for, for the outdoors or, or, or life and uh, organismal life in general. And so um, they come in with some interest, and what I really enjoy doing with them is expanding on not only their knowledge base, um, you know, identifying and learning more of what things are out there because there just is so much, and we have a lot to learn about it. But then... What you know? Maybe we'll find new uses for some of these for these uh, organisms. Maybe there's new uh, ways that we can use them for food production, or or most of the time, no. Most of the time, it's just these things are out there. We don't know they're there, or we don't understand what they're doing in the environment. So it's a great way to just appreciate uh, the natural world that we live in. Um, aside from being a professor as an entomologist. What what kind of field you mentioned? Okay, we mentioned in the break we have a little show going on on and off the air. But so ticks, uh, we don't know a whole lot about ticks sometimes. Or you were talking about we don't we oh. can't track ticks and and this would be something as if I'm in your class, I'm going to major, I'm going to become an entomologist. Yep, entomologist, yep. entomologist. Uh, and then where am I going to go from there if I'm not going to just teach it to some to the next guy? So the, you know uh, entomology. So. A lot of people don't know that this is actually, there's actually quite a few jobs out there for entomologists in the world. Um, and I didn't really learn this myself until I was, uh, oh, about a junior in college. And uh, as I mentioned before, I always loved insects and the natural world. And um, I always didn't want to teach, but I took this, I took, a, took a, my entomology class and was like, wow, you can, you can do a lot, a lot with an entomology degree. So and the other thing is we need more entomologists. Um, so we have insect pest problems out there. So we need more people that are interested in studying like ticks so we can understand, maybe predict where they are and maybe develop ways to uh, monitor their populations or even maybe cure the, the bacterial disease that they're spreading. Um, but as an entomologist, of course, you can you know, teach and do research on the university level. Um, there's a lot of industries that require entomologists. Of course, the agricultural industry, food production, seed production, has a lot of entomologists that are looking at how we can uh, create better crops that are resistant to a lot of the pests. Uh, the government, the USDA, EPA, hires a lot of entomologists. States hire uh, a state entomologist, and believe it or not, the military hires a lot of entomologists. I was, until I got a little too old, uh, I was regularly getting uh, pamphlets from the military saying, hey, go be, be an entomologist for the military because, you know, we're going to all parts of the world, and they've got insect problems there that our soldiers need to deal with. Um, yeah, that's, that's a 
pretty cool. And it, it sounds like a job that where you're not in the office a whole lot. Maybe you're, you can yeah, be. You're probably doing a lot of research and, you know, probably like going over the data you collect. But at least you're not in the office 40 hours a week, right? Like you're out there, you're, you're kind of out and about. Yeah, most entomologists, uh, especially field-based entomologists like myself, our busy time is the summer. So we're out there doing our, doing our thing. And then uh, I teach in the winter and summer or fall and spring, I mean. Um, but, you know, there are people that work on behavior. So, you know, using how do insects learn or how do they behave, there are a lot of, like, uh, microbiologists and chemists and biochemists that look at the chemicals that are produced by insects or the, chem- the pheromones and the toxins and things that are out there. And how can those perhaps be useful? Do you have, like, a favorite bug? <laughs> oh, I have lots, unfortunately. <laughs> There's yeah. no top ten. Yeah. Is there a top three? There's a top three. So, yeah, so I, I really love uh, little rove beetles. They're, they're, they're a little guy that runs around the soil. A lot of people don't know about them, but they kind of pretend that they're uh, a scorpion a little bit. Um, there's a lot of, you know, of course, uh, uh, I, I really am fond of uh, native pollinators, and right now I'm doing a lot of work with mason bees. They're a little stingless bee that uh, uh, is getting a lot of attention because not only is it uh, friendly, doesn't sting, but it's also part of the part of the pollination equation that we're trying to improve here with plant production and the native plants in the world. Yeah. Um uh, going to the text, the Better Hearing Center talking text line. Joe, among the 50 texts that Joe sent, Joe, if you if you had like two texts, I'd be able to read them, but you're sending 50, so I can't <laughs> can't get at them all. But uh, your last one he sent, which says, Mother Nature will do just fine. Humans are only one small input on this planet. When we're talking about like the bug apocalypse and and how a lot of these species are disappearing, um, so humans have nothing to do with this, according to Joe. Well, um, you know, I, uh, I think, I, think uh, I would agree with Joe that Mother Nature is very, very resilient. Um, they, one, of the, one of the fascinating things about nature and species is that they can adapt. You know, humans are probably one of the best adapters of all. We've adapted to every ecosystem out there. Um, and one of, the, one of the issues, though, is that what, what, how understanding how all of the things that we do do impact the environment. And we can look at historical data of um, pieces, specific numbers of insects in the past, 80, 100 years ago. There's data out there that shows number of, maybe a number of butterflies in a certain area. We can go to that same area now and, and do a butterfly survey, for example, and find that there's a 25% reduction in the species count. Um, so that gets kind of, that's a, that's a warning sign of maybe something's going on here. So I don't want to be an alarmist in those types of things. Um, uh, I, I do have a passion for the, the natural world and, of course, our six-legged friends, which are the insects. And um, I'm really, what I promote is education, appreciation, and perhaps in some cases uh, what benefit can uh, the, the insects bring to uh, humanity. Um, now if you want to put your headphones on, we got a, we got a call coming in. Uh, don't know who this is, so we'll just go. Caller, who's this? Hey, Rick, it's Mike. Hey, Mike. Uh, ask him, ask him if you're, you're, you're on, on Mike. Friday. Go ahead. For, Mike. Uh, Mike, ask him. Uh, you're on. Going, going back and forth and, uh, uh, you know, some more discussion on the bugs. Mike, you're on. Just go ahead. Ask him. Oh, I am on. Hi, Mike. How you doing? <laughs> hey, Doc. How's it going? Good. Uh, this is, uh, Mike Meyer, the, uh, yeah. Friday night host, and I also do the Plant Doctor show. And I was wondering if you would want to uh, come back on on a Friday evening uh, to continue this uh, discussion oh. and maybe go back and forth on a couple of topics, too. That sounds great. I'd love to do that. Okay, awesome. Yeah. All awesome. right. I'll, I'll let you set it up with Rick then. Thanks okay. a lot. All right. I thought Mike was going to ask a question. I guess we could have we figured that out. Um, but we also have Eric on. Eric, go ahead. Yeah, I was wondering, uh, 
regarding nature and the beauty of nature and stuff like that, are you aware of the benefits of CO2 in the environment? A benefits of CO2 in the environment? Absolutely. CO2 is essential for plant production. Um, we need a lot of CO2. The plants actually do have the opposite respiration system that we do. So we, we so they eat CO2 and they, they produce oxygen. That's right. That's absolutely right. Case closed. Thanks. Okay. All right. Thanks, Eric. <laughs> a couple of interesting calls there. Uh, all right. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and uh, we're going to wrap it up with Dr. Ted Wilson from Viterbo after this. All right, 608-785-7914, the Better Hearing Center, talking text line. We're going to wrap it up here. We've got about, about 10 minutes to talk with Dr. Ted Wilson from Viterbo, an entomologist. I kept saying that wrong, entomologist. I think that's right. Um, we're going to talk about, let, let's talk about invasive species a little bit okay. because because uh, they're invasive. And first of all, you maybe people don't know what invasive means, but can you just explain sure. that a little bit? So, yeah, so it's just very, just very, very straightforward. What we, we've, when we talk about invasive species, whether they're an insect or a plant or whatever, it's a species that has gone outside its normal range or normal distribution. So whether that is just by luck, maybe it, you know, caught a ride on an airplane or something, or sometimes we do it, sometimes we, you know, people will buy something across the ocean and maybe a plant or whatever, and in the, in the soil is something that we didn't expect, and then we bring that over to the United States. Um, sometimes we release stuff on purpose um, to maybe as a, maybe it's a predator that maybe eats a pest, but then it kind of gets out of control. So um, those are that's basically what an invasive species is. No, what I, I have, we have a little list here, but I just in in, in looking at this list, obviously Japanese beetles, Asian gypsy moth, Asian longhorn beetle, also Asian carp, right? Like yep. that's a, that's a big oh, thing yeah. in the Great Lakes right now. Um, like, thanks a lot, Asia, right? Like, what are we doing? Like, part of this is our own fault, right? Like, when we talk about the Asian beetles, or like, they, they look like ladybugs. Um, right. You just want to explain how those, are those, I mean, they're annoying, but they're not all that bad for, for us right now. Well, right? Well, the lady beetles? Yeah. Well, first of all, nothing against the continent, you know, of Asia. You know, it's, they're not listening. No. Oh, you can you can put uh, No, 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 absolutely not. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a lot of it has to do with this a very diverse part of the world as well, and we've increased trade, and people travel a lot more, and a lot of this is just a, as a function of, of human human movement. Um, but we do have. You mentioned the the, beetle, the lady beetles that are in people's houses. Yeah. And and right now, what's kind of what's kind of interesting. Those are called the multicolored Asian lady beetles. It's got a, kind of a long long name, but they have, have all sorts of different colors and spots and all those types of things. And people don't want them in their house. I don't like them in my house. And right now, they really seem like they're literally coming out of the woodwork. So how do you get rid of them? Well, this time of the year in the spring, what I would recommend doing is just opening up your windows or doors. There's not a lot of other insects outside quite yet. What they're trying to do is they're trying to get outside anyway, and they're actually a beneficial insect um, once you, they get out of your house, of course, because they go out and eat uh, a, uh, aphids, especially soybean aphids. Uh, we actually released this lady beetle to eat those aphids. Unfortunately, we didn't know that it had this habit of coming to people's houses over the winter, so that's one of the hazards of trying to release insects to control other insects. Is this a, is this a function of them being in this habitat? Because when they were in their own habitat, there wasn't a winter, so they didn't have to come and bug people in their houses? Or Yeah, we did. Or did we just not think about, like, did, did we not talk to the people that have this as a year-round problem? Like, hey, by the way, these guys are going to come in your house. Yeah, we didn't. That was not on anybody's radar when all when all of this happened. And, and, and it's part of, the, part of the function of uh, we have very large houses, and they, they kind of see our houses as a, as a 
cave or as a hill, and they're trying to find somewhere. They don't like the cold. Actually, they freeze really easily. So they're just trying to get out of the winter. Um, and, they find this, and, they, and once they're in your house, they're really other, you know, they do bite. So that's, that's a big, that's, I would, you know, people don't want to have them around their house for that. They do smell a little bit. Um, and so people do, I, I get why people want to get rid of them, but I would not spray chemicals in your house. I really would avoid doing that, especially if you've got pets or kids. Um, often they're just hanging out in the woodwork or in, in the top of a closet. I always seem to have a little cluster of them in the top of my closet. And they're not eating anything. They're not, uh, they're really what's called a diapause. So they're in a resting stage. And so if you just left them alone, um, if you, you know, dare do that, uh, they, they would just go out. Hopefully they get out in the spring and help, uh, help out the soybean farmers. Yeah, they, if you didn't know they were, if you didn't know they were there, you would never know because eventually they would just leave when That's the right. weather warmed up. They get stuck though, but yeah. Um, now, some of these other things, uh, Asian gypsy moth, Asian, this Asian longhorn beetle. Yeah. Of those. Yeah, those are ones that are spread. They're not as prevalent. They're, they're, they're moving around. The gypsy moths have been around. These are, these are tree pests. So, uh, so again, forest pests, uh, like, like the emerald ash borer, as everybody, I think, has probably heard of the emerald ash borer because of the uh, problems with uh, ash trees that, uh, uh, killing them really, really easily. Um, but these, uh, these are, these are uh, pests that are, to spread through either um, through flight in the case of the angel longhorn beetle, but um, the gypsy moth is spread through uh, through walking and people laying eggs on people's cars and people drive across the country and then it spreads out somewhere somewhere else. So these are these are these are pests that uh, are all, all invasives and and can be problems in, uh, in in Wisconsin. What what kind of what what are they doing? Like are they just eating stuff that we don't want them to eat? Yeah, they they eat trees. They borrow in the trees and they can kill them. Okay. And so. Um, one of the things that uh, municipalities really need to do a little bit, a little bit better job of is just planting greater diversity of trees. Okay. So you know, if you may recall, a lot of people might recall the um, Dutch elm disease uh, way back in was that 70s, 80s that killed all the elm trees. And so what we did it was uh, I mean, we had so many elm trees in town. It's hard to grow trees in town actually, so that you can't grow, grow every type of tree. We replaced them all with ash trees, and so now we've got a problem with all of our ash trees dying. So just plant a variety of trees. Are, are we just not going to be able to have ash trees anymore because of this thing? Tough to say. Um, they've gone back and looked at the native habitat of this Asian, of the uh, of the um, emerald ash borer, and uh, that type of tree that eats out there in Asia actually has a little bit of a toxin to it, it turns out. So those trees have evolved a defense. Um, so our trees are pretty helpless out here. So it's not looking good. Okay. Yeah. So because, that, I mean, that was a big problem in, in the city of La Crosse, obviously. Yeah. We, we had to get rid of... I think we have gotten rid of all, or just about gotten rid of all those those ash trees. So, um, and the, the ash borer, how did it get here? Just hitch a hitch a ride on a flight or something? Yeah, it's not necessarily understood how, but uh, it could uh, someone could have brought some wood that had the the, the ash borer larva in it, and okay. then it hatches out. So that's one of the things you hear often. You know, don't move firewood around. Don't you know, keep it within you know fifty, sixty miles of where you get it. I maybe that's a little bit too far, but. Um, you know, keep it local. Uh, if you do have an ash tree that did have ash borers in it, uh, you can burn it, you know, or um, dispose of it that way. But don't move it around. Otherwise, just those little guys, they're small, tiny little bees. How do they ever even notice them? Um, and we get just got like two minutes here. Okay. Um, with spring coming, and, and you're you're a guy who's into mason bees. That's kind of like your, sure. your, yep. your, your kind of. Are they are they endangered? Are they? Are, 
how are they doing? So yeah, so um, well, right now one of the one of the first things of pollinate that comes out with flowers are, we, are uh, fruit trees, apple trees, and um, and uh, and uh, crab apple trees and those types of things. And these guys are a little little bee. Um, uh, these guys are not on the endangered species list, but we um, they're very very useful um, in terms of. Um, being a pollinator that you can use in your yard because a lot of people don't want to have honeybees and those types of things because they can they can sting you. But we know that their numbers could be a lot better, um, and so we want to promote things like the understanding of these what we call native pollinators. And mason bees are one. There's there's other types of uh, bumblebees are a great pollinator. Um, and so um, if you want to if you want to promote these types of things, if you really uh, have a lot of flowers, or if you have apple trees or an orchard, you can put out uh, mason bee houses, and that will help them out a little bit, and also maybe give you a few more apples or, or uh, fruits, fruits in your yard, too. And really, you could just go to the store and buy some, like, uh, what, monarch garden, like, seed packets or stuff like that, right? Like, that would help all these, these yep. uh, pollinators out, right? Yeah, so uh, butterfly gardens are a great way to go, too, for pollinators. Uh, they a lot of things, not just butterflies, will take advantage of those flowering plants. You'll get uh, you'll get bees and beetles and other things out there. So um, that's, a, that's a great that's a great step to take. All right, uh, that was Dr. Ted Wilson, entomologist at Viterbo University. Uh, thanks for for joining me today. It was great. Thanks for having me. All right, we'll see you guys tomorrow when uh, who's going to be in here? Ken Cooper is going to be in here with me. All right, thanks, guys.